The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Commercial Range. Pajero Executive, Pajero Commercial, Outlander Business and new L200. All with a leading five-year commercial warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie It's a Tuesday and time for Tuesday Travel with Moncon McGann. Um, we go to gas places with you. Where are we going? We're going to go to the Czech Republic. Really interesting place. Yeah. So a few months ago, maybe almost a year ago, we looked at Slovakia, um, the Slovak Republic. And, uh, you know, what was had, sad, like, these are like orphan siblings. They are, in theory, the same country, or at least they were after the World War I. They're both so similar. They both kind of have common Slavic roots, have such strong cultural similarities. But the fact that the Czech Republic was that little bit near Western Europe changed its whole perspective on the world. You know, it made it more outgoing. It made it more um, sort of rooted. It gave itself a different idea to itself. It thought it thought it was part of Europe. And in fact, it was, as we're going to see. Whereas Slovakia was always looking a little bit more east. So eventually this marriage, you know, I mean, during for so long, one was clearly under the Habsburgs, the Czech was, and then the Slovak Republic was under Hungary. So uh, they looked at the world completely differently. Um, they tried to make it as a go, and then come the end of eighty nine. Yeah. yeah. Now the, the thing, of course, we do have to. You, if you go, I think, to the Czech Republic or you go to Slovakia, you do need a thumbnail sketch historically, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah. And see, this huge part of Europe, it's it's hard to believe now. Before World War One, this huge swathe of Europe was ruled by 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 Emperor uh, Franz Joseph exactly. of Vienna, mm-hmm. the Austro-Hungarian Emperor. Yeah. And I make the point constantly. Like there were something like seven different languages spoken in the army, mm-hmm. so the officers couldn't communicate with the private. Now, out of this enormous empire, then mm-hmm. grew these countries, and some of them, like we're talking now, mm-hmm. are bits of what was another country. Isn't yeah. that right? Exactly. Yeah. And then only in the nineteenth century did they begin to focus on nationalism, on who they represented themselves. And we'll have a look at that. That was key because the reason that we, around, around you know, the beginning of the 20th century, started going into our folklore and getting back our language was that thing. We were following what they were doing in Europe, this obsession with with who we were, with creating a nation, an image of a nation for oneself. Because we, we although we, we are talking uh, the celebration period of 1916, it, many historians make the point, we kind of think we were the only revolution going on, but across Europe, mm-hmm. all these countries were, were struggling to find an identity. Now, you see that presumably when you go to the Czech Republic in terms of its buildings and museums, do you? Exactly, yeah, and you see it, I mean, most particularly, I suppose, in Prague. And, you know, the National Museum there, built around the 1880s at the same time as the Bohemian Patriotic Association, uh, they were looking at Germany, who were, do you remember, the time of Bismarck, Germany, and Bismarck was trying to say, what is Germany? Creating folklore, creating theatre, creating their own, realising they had their own distinct language. The exact same thing was happening with the Czech Republic. This was in the 1880s. Same thing in Poland. Do you remember when we looked at Poland, we looked looked at Zakopane, the hill area in the, in, the, in the south of Poland, where they decide this is the core of their ethnic people. And then we, 20 years later, well, from about 1897 on, started looking at Ireland. Oh, yeah, the Aran Islands are our core and our stories are Finn McCool. So this was just, yeah, it's All a right. wide thing. Now, Prague is a beautiful city mm-hmm. and you're going to talk about it, I'm sure. How do you want us to get there? 
uh, you're going to use either Aer Lingus or Ryanair. Like Fly direct? Yeah, it is so easy to go there. It's going to be probably 20, Euro, 20 euros cheaper but Ryanair, but you know, Aer Lingus has all the other benefits. There's all those people who promise they'll never fly at Air Ryanair. It's great to have Aer Lingus. But you can also think about it. Two city tour here, not the per- not for today, mm-hmm. but you could fly to Vienna, spend some time in Vienna, and then it's a quick train ride down to Prague, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It's better if you're doing Bratislava, Vienna, because it's so near to each other. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, because right. Czech is, is rather... Is, is huge but the thing is the problem is most you know the Czech Republic became this big sort of or sorry Prague became this big weekend place a sort of yeah. a stag party and it is beautiful but you're missing out on so much more uh, so mainly what happened is that whole that whole skyline was never been touched so right in the centre you get a feeling of sort of a 16th century place it was it was always like so Kafka was born here and you get a, a feeling of the trial you know the sort of looking at the inner and outer and the complex claustrophobic sense of not knowing uh, which is a public realm, which is a private realm, where you are exactly are. You can actually get a feeling of that in, in the Stare Mesto, which is the old town, the area that, that most people first descend on. <clears throat> and that whole, the sort of the main square of the old town in Prague is probably the most spectacular in all of Europe. And it is a place you just linger in. You you, you head to that Stare Mesto, Namesti, Namesti is square. So the old town square. And like all around you are buildings that people have been going to see, like the astronomical clock. This, which is a sort of 600-year-old clock, a sort of a showpiece for the engineering prowess. Like in the 12th century, the 13th, the 14th century, the Prague was the centre of learning. The sort of, you know, uh, the, I mean, Copernicus was Polish, but that that mindset of expanding that I mentioned was all done there. And this, this sort of clock, which was showing the control of death, fighting sort of the, the apostles and the moving of the hour, the ring... People have been coming right through to the 18th century to sort of witness this. So there's a sense that one is one's following the footsteps of sort of the grand tour of, of 18th century tour of Europe. But all around it is like the old town hall, the municipal house, which is beautiful uh, art nouveau, nouveau craft. You don't get the impression, mm-hmm. and I think I'm right in saying it wasn't heavily bombed during World War Two. So a lot of these great buildings survived. Exactly. Which they wouldn't have survived in German cities, no, for argument's sake. No, no, or Poland, exactly. Yeah. So you can imagine the exact same, that signs of culture were in Germany, were in Poland, but exactly, they didn't survive. They didn't, uh, suffer so well but in terms um, what about the square isn't it Wenceslas Square yeah, or something yeah is that so, good yeah it is so it was the square of the new new city I mean 600 years old but, but still so the Stare Mestre the old town the sort of medieval tiny warren of, was was proven too big so they built this new square um, it was more sort of as a centrepiece of a horse fair but people go to it now because it was where all the great movements uh, against foreign oppression and despotism that have been happening I mean we think of the Velvet Revolution 89 but actually that's been going on on since the 15th century, 16th century, because of where they stood in the middle of both East and West Europe, they were constantly being oppressed. And there was constantly these heroic struggles against, um, from the oppressor, whether it was the, the 15th century Hussite rebellion uh, right up until now. Well, you had the Germans. I mean, Czechoslovakia was famous where uh, everybody stood by mm-hmm. and allowed the Germans to take over Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Then, you, then in more modern times, people mm-hmm. will remember the various sort of quasi-revolutions against against uh, the Soviet Union. Yeah. Dubček and all these kinds exactly. of things. Exactly. So it really was the year nine. So 1939, they held protest against the rise of Nazi and the threat of German Nazism coming into Czech and that was obliterated. Students were killed in the central area in sort of in Jan Palek Square. And then along comes in 1969 the Soviet invade and again the students of, of Charles University go out and protest there's a beautiful death mask on on um, on the square of one of these students, and again they were raised up, uh, raised down, and again that sparked 
you know, exactly on the anniversary in 1989, they come out again, and this time for the Velvet Revolution, and they are victorious, and they finally have their own career. They have their own freedom. So it's it, you get a real sense of these are people who have been oppressed for thousands of years by different uh, sort of you know, either the Holy Roman Empire, the Habsburgs, and finally have their own freedom. And during all those years of oppression, they were breaking down borders and barriers in terms of engineering, in terms of technology, in terms of of uh, plasterwork and ceramics and goldwork. But if you holiday, and mm-hmm. we are talking about tourism here, although the historical lecture is, is really good between mm. two of us. I, you, you don't want to stay in Prague, I suspect, do you? No, but one of the interesting thing to do, if I'm talking about all this glorious past and the whole uh, the sort of, there was a hippie park during the 80s where they were where they were sort of following John Lennon and trying to break down um, break the grip of corruption this, the, the big thing now is the corrupt tour. So you remember in 2013 there was the Prime Minister was found to have been stuffing cash into safes and he had there was a, a sort of a sad case of adultery and a scandals involving wiretaps and he was kicked out of office so ever since then there's been this a corrupt tour of of Prague so you can go out uh, in, in sort of on your whatever they call it the corrupt the, the, the crony wagon and you stop at all the places you stop at the hospital that you could only get into if you had money bags to jump the queue you stop at uh, the apartment that was built by this man who was called the Lord Voldemort, Voldemort of uh, Roman Janusk, who was a political lobbyist who just had everyone in his sway. And it's like, it'd be a perfect thing for Dublin to copy. Basically, you stop at these, the, the, the apartments or the fancy houses of these corrupt oligarchs and these corrupt political um, manipulators. Really? And you, you shout, come out, come out, come out, birdie. So it's like <laughs> a bird-watching tour, okay? And these guides in, in sort of uh, SWAT team jackets will pull up everyone outside take photographs uh, and try and, you know, bait them to come out of their lair. Uh, it's it's like, it's a lovely... Um, where was it? We were... Was I, was I a few months ago we were looking at Portugal where they were looking at um, sort of, you know, a tour of the most... of the places that have suffered since the EU uh, collapse. But this is this is like looking at their own problems, what the, what corruption did um, and right. uh, the tour okay. of it. Yeah. It, it is. So as you say, you do at some point. You need to go out. You probably need to look at the. You know, you need to go into the the Jewish quarter. I was just about to say that mm-hmm. uh, all these great European cities have a Jewish history. What's what's Prague's like? So, I mean, again, every century it's different. In the 13th century was the first time Rome said the Jews are too powerful and they put them into the ghetto. So they created the ghetto. But then they realised, like, there'd be a different king would come along and he would, he would realise there's no business happening in in um, in the place. So, like, in, in Prague. So in the 17th century, they helped a battle, the Jews did. So their, their ghetto was expanded. Right in the 19th century, then they get torn down, they become part of the building. Eventually, come Hitler, the sad thing about what happens is there are still, there's still a network of 12 synagogues and a perfectly preserved synag- uh, ghetto, Jewish ghetto, okay? And you think, why was Hitler preserving a sense of... Uh, why was he trying to preserve the ghetto? Because he wanted it as the museum of an extinguished race. His idea was, once he had killed every Jew, he wanted to show the ghettos they lived in. So it's it's deeply cynical. Like in the 1930s, there were 50,000 of them. And now there's, there's a handful, you know, a few thousand. So their their graveyards are really, um, and cemeteries are just really emotional. It is worth, it is worth stopping, for, particularly f- because when you get out of Prague, you're normally, well, you're going to go to Western Bohemia, which is basically the west of Prague, Northern Bohemia, north of Prague, or you're going to Silesia and all these other places to, to the east. But Northern um, Bohemia, 
It was basically the mining area for the for the for the Nazis, but also for the but communists. Czechoslovak coal was a big deal, wasn't exactly. it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the coal mines there, the ore mines were there, um, but also producing a phenomenal. And there still are little villages which will specialize in porcelain, will specialize in glass, crystal, specialize in jewelry. So if you have an interest in, you know, nineteenth-century crafts that are still being done, specialized in tiny by by hand by sort of artisans. Well, it's an interesting thing mm-hmm. because Waterford glass originally was founded by a Czech, I think, a Czech emigrate, because the idea of glass making is very Czech, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, they were they were just such skilled. They had that same mindset of the Germans. And to be fair, you know, that this area of Bohemia and Germany was absolutely intermingled. It was only you know after the Second World War that they kicked every German out. But there was this was heavily populated. This whole area by Germans until until the Second World War. The thing you're seeing there is the Terezin Nazi camp, um, which wasn't an extermination camp, but it's even darker still. Was this the place that had another name called Terezin Exactly. And the idea behind this was what they used to do was they put sort of tame Jews in there and they photographed them and did the, the, the 1945 version of videos and they showed this like to the Red Cross and everything and said look they're actually not unhappy at all they're all living in this gorgeous place exactly. so it's the, it's the Red Cross's great moment of shame they did two official tours right throughout the whole camp and they came away saying it was a model of sort of, of good, you know, administration. Yeah. Because the Jews were there running shops, running cafes, running banks. But it was all and they were all fake. Yeah, it was all an image. And the thing is, although it was not an extermination camp, of the 150 people, 50,000 people that, that uh, passed through, 35,000 died. Just not on purpose, not by the Nazis trying to kill them, but just starvation, disease and suicide. So it's, it's, a, it's a tragic sight for that. Um, but because there was so much mining, so much industry in northern Bohemia for so long, you know, it's not the prettiest place. You're gonna, you want to head towards sort of west, western Bohemia if you want prettiness, particularly towards those old spa towns. So you know, throughout that was another big deal in Czechoslovakia, spas. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so the would you would you go to western Bohemia for that? Would you? Uh, yeah. What would you do? I mean, a young traveller isn't going to be keen, but the great the great centre place was Carlsbad, Karlovy Vary, it's now called. Uh, you know, Carlsberg in, in Germany. Yeah. yeah, the Carlsberg. By decrees. Well, is that where I should go? Like, yeah, so, oldies like me. I mean, if you, it's sort of it. The, the architecture is still splendid. The spas are still twelve spas. All this sort of classic eighteenth-century wedding cake posh architecture, and all these old dowagers and German and and and, and, and Austrian and Russian sort of grand dams will come for their lymphatic drainage or their hydrocolon therapy. Um, it's also getting very popular with Arabs. So it's it's the money classes come to these places, eat sort of. Well, they used to eat good food, but now the whole thing. The beginnings of diet food came in uh, in the sort of in the 17th century with this idea called the Karl, Karlsbader Oblaten, which are wafers. They were a type of the whole idea of you know in the 18th century Germans transfixed with healthy water, healthy eating, healthy exercise, yeah. healthy all this. The, still the, the, the old the old sort of Victorian hotels and Georgian you can't call them Georgian this area 18th century hotels are still fine. Um, and from a term, there's some great museums looking. So you remember the Karlsbad decree, decrees where this the prince the Austrian prince von Metternich decided that there was rumblings before the French Revolution he realised these rumblings happening throughout throughout Europe and he decided he gathered the princes that he could most trust from Austria from Germany together to try and stamp down any sort of uh, freedom freedom using police uh, oppression and censorship 
on that lead eventually. Now, all my uh, taxi driver pals, yeah. I percentage of them, of course, are driving Czech motor cars, mm-hmm. Skoda. Yeah. Uh, it's not worth visiting the factory or anything. Oh, no? It is. I mean, again, they were so far ahead and you only see it when you go and see the old Skoda. So, Skoda was just a small parts factory, like so many engineering plants in the 19th century in Western Bohemia and Pilsen particularly. Um, Pilsen? Pilsen, yeah. Where the beer comes from? Exactly. Yeah, oh, right, yeah. Pilsen okay. or Kala. Uh, uh, going to the build, going to the pills in Orquella. So you know the two great beers are Budvar, and the Americans just stole the name to create Budweiser and Pills in Orquella. Uh, both are phenomenal beers, as you say. They've taught us more more about the proper taste of beers, and it's worth visiting the Pills in Orquella um, uh, factory in in Pilsen, mainly because. This is built on a on an area where there was constantly being attacked, okay, because it was a centre of such wealth and riches. So they built tunnels underground. Uh, now all those tunnels of you know hundreds of years of tunnels still exist. So what the Pills and Orquella factory realised was if they put the barrels of beer once they brew the beer down into the cellars, there was some sort of bacteria living on those um, tunnels that gave the taste of beer that was impossible to replicate elsewhere. And there were constantly, there still are, beer spies coming into those tunnels, trying to take some of the swabs of the bacteria, bringing it to their own place. And it won't live anywhere else than under their their, um, cells. But again, this was, so in, you know, Pilsen is, it was founded in the 13th century as a beer making town. So the King Vaclav II says he gives 260 burgers the entitlement to to brew beer. They mess it up for about 200, 300 years. And finally, there's 26 of them left, and they all join together to create this Bills in Orquella. All right, so we go to the Skoda factory and have a look at the motor cars, do we? Yeah, Yeah, you do, because Skoda would be better known and better than BMW or Volkswagen, except for, you know, the Nazis came in and then worse, the communists came in and made them. I mean, Skoda continued, but they were not making excellent things. What they were making was phenomenal trains and trams, and some of those big buildings from the Skoda Engineering Works are to be seen both in the Skoda Museum, but also in the Techmania Science Centre which is great. They've realised that Pilsen, if they were always about scientific prowess, then uh, let's make a museum. And they have a really amazing interactive museum using infrared, using cameras, using sort of a whole 3D planetarium and historic trams and trains from the, from the, from the engineering But it, it, there, there's some kind of graveyard over there where you discovered skeletons of bodies or whatever, didn't you? Yeah, so let's say all of that was either to the west of Prague, you know, getting yeah. near to Germany. If you go east, if you go to the darkness, then you get to the whole area where you're looking towards Romania, where the fears were going to come. And that was where this whole idea of people were petrified of vampires back in this day. So there was a, there was a great case of uh, basically 100 women being burned at the stake um, for for being witches and, and for being um, infused with the spirits of vampires. So if we think Salem looks bad, like it is nothing to what was happening about the 17th and 18th century in this Velka Lucini and the museum there of all the torture implements that were used on really? it is powerful, yeah. But Kutmahora, again in the East, was as rich and as big a city as Prague, okay? It was built on silver mines. So if you think the architecture in Prague is, is impressive, Kutmahora is Phenomenally so. It was far richer, but what happened was the oil, the the silver and the gold suddenly runs out. First there's a plague in the 14th century, and then the Thirty Years' War in the by the 16th century, everything is closed down. Okay? So all those buildings have remained preserved perfectly. There's been no onslaught of 19th or 20th century buildings on top of the um of, of what you're seeing. So basically it looks like the the Male Strana in Prague, that classic vision of all the rooftops of all the red tiled rooftops going on forever like a like a storybook image of a of a medieval um place. But what happened was 
so it became very popular to die in Kutnahora, and mainly because the abbot popular die. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, in the 15th century, the abbot of the Cistercian monastery said that he had sprinkled soil from. Golgotha, Golgotha. That's on, where, where uh, Calvary, Calvary. That's where, the, where Jesus was crucified. Exactly. Yeah. So he tells people that he has got a load of soil from Golgotha and sprinkled it over the graveyard, so that if you die here, you're going to go straight to heaven. Oh, great idea. Yeah. So everyone started in the same way as people go to Varanasi in India to die. Everyone started coming here to die. Okay, so their graveyards were soon overrun. So they decided they were going to create an ossuary, the whole medieval thing of put the bones in a church rather than burying yeah. them on the ground. Um, which, as we know, those medieval graveyards, one was only buried on the ground for, you know, a certain amount of years, for, for, a, few, for a generation, and then they were dug up. But this way, you were put straight into the, um, into the, in, in, into the ossuary, and then just by chance, if a bored monk in the 15th century started making decorations out of the bones, okay? So he'd find, he'd get all the bones of one particular person and try and make a chandelier out of them. Or he'd gather a crew, huge loads of femurs and just make an entire cross, a crucifix, out of the femurs. Or he'd, he'd have these butt bones and they'd be flying up into the sky in different spaces. That was fine. That happened in the 15th century. But then along the 19th century, another artist, an artist, a monk who feels he isn't expressing his thing, started creating more uh, bone architecture and started writing out in his name and other people's names in bones. And it's now become this really ghoulish, this really sort of um, <laughs> atmospheric, oppressive, medieval sense of vision uh, in the heart of of, West, of Eastern Bohemia. And Where, is this in Kutnahora? Exactly, yeah. And Kutnahora glorious like and it's said there's a great sort of new artistic renaissance so if in the 19th and 20th century there was so much of pioneering young thought in writers in radical thinkers was happening both in Bragg and, and Kutnahora Kutnahora went to sleep as I say after the 16th century once the silver ran out it is now starting up again there's a load of quirky creative thinkers taking over these beautiful Baroque buildings and using them as art studios as sort of music places so that sort of spirit we associate with Berlin is still really strong and the tragedy is when people go on for beer weekends they're missing out on all of this richness they're all just right. taking the one picture of Charles Bridge or something and not seeing I culture. think the danger is yeah many people see uh, Prague as a kind of a European Kilkenny as a, or, or yeah. Temple Bar there is a worry though so when people come you know on a beer weekend yeah. to Dublin they're, they're safe enough, okay? Prague, you're not necessarily safe. There's some really bad scams. There's a nightclub. There's a, so often you'll be, you know, you go out for a drink to one of these lovely old sort of underground basement pubs. You come out at midnight and a taxi will say, do you want to go to a nightclub? You'll be brought to a nightclub. You'll be let in. You'll be given drink. And then afterwards, a load of sort of bodyguards will be at the door giving you a, a check for about 2,500 euros. If you don't pay, you're brought into a room and you're beaten. There's, there's some bad scams going on in Prague. Oh, that's a great way to finish. You know, <laughs> bloody Just beware and don't get Beware, don't get in a taxi if he says he's got gorgeous girls waiting for you. I'd be a sucker for that scam. <laughs> All right, Mongon again, Tuesday travel. Mongon will be back next Tuesday. Uh, I'll be off on holiday, so Mongon will be chatting to Shane Coleman.